Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The words you're about to hear belong to a dying woman. Her name was Katie Scarborough. She was a wife and a mother, a daughter, a sister and a friend. She was also beautiful, fun and full of life. Her regrets aren't really what she didn't do in the past, but what she was going to miss in the future. In 2012, Katie was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer and started writing an online blog. Her opening post read, my name is Katie. I am 32 and married to Stuart. We have two children, Sam 8 and Sophie 4. I have recently been diagnosed with bowel cancer and am about to embark on the ups and downs of chemotherapy. This blog is to keep family and friends in the know. The voice you are about to hear isn't hers, but the story is. I'm Georgina Skull and you're listening to Regrets of the Dying. almost like I'm writing about another person. Today was always going to be a roller coaster of emotion, and I tried to hold it together. When we walked into the chemotherapy unit, it was obvious I had straight away cut the average age by at least half. I could feel the other patients' eyes on me, not only because I was new, but my age had a big impact. This became more apparent when a lovely woman who had been sitting a few chairs away from me with her husband came up to me and said, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I replied, 31. And she immediately replied quite forcefully, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. My daughter was 31 when she was diagnosed and she is 34 now and she's fine. She had age on her side. I was completely taken aback and started to get upset only because she was talking with such fight and determination. The first drug was put through my vein over an hour and a half and my blood pressure monitored before, during and after. I then had some anti-sickness before the oxaliplatin was put through over two hours. The oxaliplatin is the one that causes numbness and tingling when touching something cold, as well as difficulty swallowing cold drinks. My hand had the needle in it, and I started to feel numbness and tingling all the way up to my elbow. At least I managed to get two chapters read of Fifty Shades of Grey. 
I only just started it. And all the nurses and patients were talking about it. They kept coming over saying, oh, you have that book. Waking up this morning, I felt a little scared just to swallow. Having a psychological lump in my throat and taking tablets don't go together. I had to start my third chemo drug this morning and they are bullet sized. I've never been very good at taking big tablets and unfortunately these can't be cut. It took me a bit to get in the right frame of mind. That sounds so silly, but I think it was a mixture of how big they were and what they were. I've worked out that just taking a drink at room temperature or something which hasn't been in the fridge isn't as simple as it sounds. A lot of thought and preparation has to go into it. Normally, that means a splodge of hot water put into it from the kettle. It doesn't hurt, so to speak, if the drink is too cold. It just catches, like my throat is scratchy. After my mid-morning sickness blip, I was hungry and ate a big bowl of chicken super noodles with cheese, two slices of bread and a chocolate donut. Please don't slag the cheesy super noodles until you try them. They are really yummy. I may have slightly become a little OCD-ish, writing absolutely everything down. My list of tablets, what time I take them, how I feel and what I have eaten. I'm hoping it will help me be better prepared for the next time I have treatment. They do say some sort of pattern should emerge as to how I am feeling and I want to be prepared for that. That way I can try and do things as normally as possible. Five days after my first chemotherapy, I started to be sick. After being sick for 24 hours, I was admitted into hospital for a day and a night to get the sickness under control and to have some fluids through a drip. I started to get a very sore head, which affected my vision so I couldn't focus properly. I got discharged the following day. However, as soon as I got home, I started to get the migraine again and spent most of the time with my eyes closed because I couldn't see very well. I've never, ever had a headache as bad before. I honestly felt like ripping my head off. Stuart was trying to get me to take some painkillers, but because my head was so sore, I was being sick again. So after being out of hospital for less than 24 hours, I was admitted again. This time my stay in hospital was a lot longer. It ended up being nine days in total. I had a CT scan and an MRI scan to check my brain. And yes, I do have one, lol. <laughs> to see if there was anything noticeable causing my headaches. Both scans were clear so my headaches could have been due to me being sick and retching. Even with all Katie was going through, the sickness and pain, the uncertainty of what the future may hold, her main focus and main concern never wavered. It was her children. One of my worst fears happened whilst I was in hospital, and it was the dreaded moment Sam found out his mummy had the C-word. Another child slightly older than him, had obviously overheard an adult conversation and went and told him. So Sam, out of the blue, asked Stuart if it was true 
This wasn't a word we wanted to use with him. We already told him that mummy had a poorly belly and the doctors were giving some medicine that was going to make me more poorly to begin with, but make me better long term. Both Stuart and I felt that that was enough for now for a seven-year-old to take in. But that has since been taken out of our hands and Stuart had to respond truthfully to him and say that yes, mummy has cancer of her tummy. I'm still shocked by the whole thing. I know it's been a little while since my last blog, but it's not because things have been bad. The last two weeks since chemo number four have been great. I stayed in hospital for a couple of days to ensure the new anti-sickness drug worked. After half an hour or so, I sat up and wasn't feeling sick or queasy. I have to admit, I felt a little apprehensive about it working, so stayed in an extra day just to be sure. But all was good. I was so happy to be on my feet quicker because it meant I could take Sophie to her first day at school. She looked so cute in her uniform and was really excited to be going with all her friends. I handled it well until I came back home and looked at the pictures Stuart had taken. That's when I cried a little, not just because she's growing up so fast, but because I got to see that milestone. I have been a little emotional. It just seems like every time I turn on the TV or read a paper, the word cancer is everywhere. It all started on Sunday while watching the Great North Run and seeing all the amazing people who are raising money for charities in people's memories. I think it's absolutely inspirational, but at the same time it's sunk in that I'm one of those people that has this horrible illness. Then I read an article about a woman who is in her 40s and has been told she has six months to live as her bowel cancer is incurable. She, along with her daughters, has made a bucket list of things she wants to do while she still can. That has really pulled at my heartstrings and made me think about my situation. I've not been in a good place trying to process all the negative things that have gone through my head it's worse at night. My head seems to go into overdrive and that's when I end up crying myself to sleep. How are you supposed to stop all the negative things from going through your head when every single minute I'm awake I'm reminded of what I have? As soon as I wake up I think, do I feel sick? Then it hits me how uncomfortable I feel and the lack of energy I have. Making a drink, I have to be particular about the temperature of it. And then the decision of what actually to eat for breakfast is hard enough in itself. Just getting showered and dressed is a chore. I could easily sit and stare into space all day, every day. But on the other side, I have my kids. And although they don't understand the real extent of what's going on, they're still going through it with me. They see their mum a little sadder than normal, with less energy than normal, and frustrated that she can't do half the stuff she wants to. But the hugs and kisses I get from them both make everything that little bit brighter. Maybe how I've been feeling has been magnified by the fact that I have my halfway scan on Tuesday. 
this scan will hopefully answer a lot of questions. The main one being, is the chemo working? I've been sitting here wondering how I am supposed to put what I'm about to say in words. But there is no easy way. Some people may think it's inappropriate, but I don't really care, as I have nothing to hide and nothing to be ashamed of. Yesterday, Stuart and I went to the hospital to get the results of the CT scan I had a week ago. Deep down, I knew it wasn't going to be good news. You can try and be as positive as possible, but deep down you have to listen to how your body is feeling. My consultant took us into her room with my oncology nurse and told us that my tumours have become more dense and my ovaries more enlarged. The chemotherapy I have been having to tackle bowel cancer hasn't worked. We were given two options. Do nothing and I would have six months or try a chemotherapy which targets the ovaries. However, there is no guarantee this is going to work. I asked them about operating and removing my ovaries and they said they couldn't guarantee I'd wake up from it and any type of operation would delay treatment as I would have to recover first. I have no option but to try the chemotherapy. Needless to say, Stuart and I and our whole family are devastated. I'm angry that it has come to this, but we have to keep the fight going. I kept making nervous jokes, trying to get out of going through it. When the cancer nurse would routinely ask my date of birth before attaching a bag of fluid, I gave Stuart's date of birth instead. I knew I had to have it done, no matter how hard it was. This probably sounds so silly, but for me, the hardest thing to deal with is that my hair is going to fall out. I can deal with the tiredness, sickness to some extent, and the redness of the hands and feet. But the loss of my hair scares me. It's probably because I'm unsure how the kids will react. Like preparing me, we have tried to prepare them. But preparation and actually going through it are two different things. I have so many worries of how they're going to take it, more so Sam. I don't want his friends to take it the wrong way and say horrible things about me to him. I'm not saying they will, but this is the stuff I worry about. In November 2012, Katie, Stuart and the kids went on a road trip back to her hometown proved to be another milestone. Unfortunately, not for the right reasons. Sam always hates the drive up to Cairn Ryan, as it takes five hours, then two hours on the boat. But we got there without too many are we there yet. The one person who I wanted to see most of all was my 98-year-old Nana. It was a bit emotional seeing her, for the both of us, to be honest. I also had a catch-up with friends that I used to ice skate with, rep with in Mallorca, and go to school with. I know there were a lot of people that wanted to catch up with me, and I'm sorry I wasn't able to. My hair also started to fall out. Each day I woke up and had a shower, 
there was more and more on my pillow and in the bath. I was crying and Sophie came up to me and hugged me and said, don't worry, mummy. If your hair falls out tomorrow and you're sad, call me, okay? She's such a cutie pie. On the way back, as we were sailing down Belfast Loch, it hit me that this could have been the last time I was over. That got me upset. We got back on Saturday evening and on Sunday morning, more of my hair had fallen out. I couldn't take waking up every morning to the hair on my pillow and decided to take how my hair falls out into my own hands. So I made the decision to shave it. I haven't gone completely mad, but I had a number three all over. I'm finding it a lot better to deal with and may opt for a zero at some point. Is it weird that every time I watch TV and see someone with beautiful hair, I get jealous? Is it weird that I get jealous of my own husband playing with the kids, as I want to do the same but don't have the energy? Then I watch the soaps and listen to their pathetic storylines, which aren't real, but what is happening to me is real, and that makes me feel mad. Everywhere I look, I'm reminded that I am a cancer patient. There is no getting away from it. Sometimes I just feel like screaming, why me? I haven't done anything wrong to deserve this. My hair is more or less completely out and I find it such a struggle to get in the shower as I don't want to look at it. That's the constant reminder. I haven't been feeling particularly great since last week's chemo, but that has only come in the past few days. It's not that I've been sick, but feeling queasy, tired, and some of my joints have been hurting. I know when I'm feeling better, I can do more things, but when I'm not feeling right, everything gets on top of me. On Friday, I sat and watched Children in Need with the kids. Sophie quickly fell asleep, but Sam was determined to stay up and watch as much as possible. As some of you may have seen from my Facebook, there was a story which hit very close to home. When Robbie Williams appeared beforehand to say it was sad, I did say to Sam to go to bed, but he didn't want to. Then when the story became clear, I tried to hold it together, but Sam was crying too, and he gave me a hug and said, I don't want that to happen to you, mummy. Well, that's all it took for the floodgates to open. To be honest, I am glad he watched it. It gave him a little indication about what goes on in the world, and unfortunately it's not all good. But I made it positive for him by saying that by us donating money, the children are happier. So we're doing a good thing. Christmas is not far away now and you don't realize how grateful I am for my laptop. The thought of walking around shops when it's busy is enough to pull my hair out. <laughs> if I had any, lol. Sophie had her first nativity play at primary school this week. I have to say, I am one proud mummy. She only told me the night before that she was Mary, and because she hadn't said anything before, I wasn't sure if I should believe her or not, as she may have gotten it wrong. So I tried not to get too excited about it, 
and wait and see when I was at the school. Whilst we were waiting to go into the classroom, I looked through the window in the door, and there she was, dressed as Mary. She looked so cute. When I got diagnosed with cancer back in June, one thought that had gone through my head was the fact that Sophie was starting primary school, and I wanted to see her in the nativity. The fact that she was Mary and I got to see her was the icing on the cake. I had built Christmas up to be a day where I was going to feel great, have a few drinks, enjoy spending time with my family, and watch the kids play with their new toys. I wanted it to be the best ever Christmas. However, for me, it didn't match up to my expectations. Around Christmas Eve, I started feeling queasy. My tummy had gotten bigger and harder. I wasn't able to eat the amount I wanted to, and I had a metallic taste in my mouth. It's funny. On Christmas morning, Sam wouldn't come downstairs without one of us going with him, as he thought Santa was still there. Down the stairs we went, and the first thing Sam noticed was Sophie's new bike. She was so excited, sitting on it with a big smile. Sam opened his biggest present, and it was the new scooter he had asked for, and he was happy too. Sophie was in her element when she found her Jessie costume from Toy Story. She immediately put it on. That, for me, was the best part, and to be honest, I was feeling sick at the time, but made myself push through it as I didn't want my sickness to ruin the day. As I was feeling low anyway, I couldn't help but think that that could be the last time I see them opening presents at Christmas. That now brings me to my CT scan results. I knew that in the past two weeks, my health had gotten that little bit worse, but I was able to breathe my tummy in which I hadn't been able to do before. So without saying too much out loud, I thought the chemo may be working. Stuart and I took his parents to the hospital yesterday for moral support. I went in knowing things weren't great due to how I was feeling. Dr. Kenny told us that the tumour on my liver has gotten bigger and the cancer has now spread to two points in my bones on my back. The tumour in my bowel is stable. She did explain why I have been feeling the way I have, due to everything pushing on my liver, and that's why I have the metallic taste in my mouth and the sickness. After hearing this, and even writing it now on here, I had a massive lump in my throat. And I knew if I started crying, I wouldn't be able to hold it together. This is the first time I've been able to talk about yesterday. Well, just about. I have to say, this blog has been a struggle. I can't even talk to my mum and dad yet about it. Sorry, mum and dad. Because I'd end up breaking down in tears and I'm trying to hold that back as crying makes me feel more queasy. Stuart has had to do all the talking for me. I can only say I feel numb at the minute. 
I do know that when cancer gets into the bones, that really isn't a good sign and it's hard to get back from there. I keep wishing that Damon and Stefan from the Vampire Diaries would come and feed me their blood, then kill me and I would become an immortal vampire. Or Edward and Carlisle would come and bite me with their venom. That way I know I would be around for a really long time. Sorry if this gets any of you upset. I probably should have put a warning at the beginning. It's hard to put into words and explain how much cancer takes over everything. Not only in me, my family, my friends, and even people I don't know. It's a shit disease. And I can say the novelty of having it has well and truly worn off. I get up in the morning and it's there. I talk to Stuart and it's there. I look at the kids and it's there. I watch TV and it's there. And I go to bed and it's there. I can hear it in people's voices and see it in their eyes. There is no way of getting away from it. The worst thing is looking in the mirror and seeing what it has done to me. I don't recognize me anymore. I look like a typical cancer patient, skinny, bald, and anorexic looking. It's disgusting. I'd give anything to go back to the girl I was, even though I didn't like my appearance much then. It's way better than what I am now. It's the nature of the beast that grows inside of me, of which I have no control. This week has been very hard and emotional on everyone. I can't say this week is the hardest ever, because every week seems to be the hardest ever. Anyway, I went into hospital on Monday, as my tummy was so painful and distended. I hadn't been able to eat, even though I was hungry. The amount of fluid that had built up was so immense that I was struggling to take a deep breath and the smallest amount of food was making me sick. On Tuesday, I was given a very strong anti-sickness medication, which made me very drowsy. When my doctor and nurse came into the room, I saw four people and not two. It was very strange and I didn't like it, as I felt really out of control of my surroundings. That evening, the bowel surgeon, a palliative care manager and a St. Giles nurse came into my room. I was a little more with it by now, and all I kept thinking was their mannerisms were all very morbid. He told me that my cancer was very aggressive, which we already knew, and that it was causing the fluid to build up on my tummy. Again, we knew this. Due to how the atmosphere felt. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In the room and the looks on their faces, I felt I was running out of time to ask questions. I asked about operating and they said that wouldn't benefit me 
as it would take six weeks to recover from surgery before any other chemotherapy could be given. I then proceeded to ask the question about timescales. He told me in a low, morbid voice that it could be weeks if nothing works. Wow. How am I supposed to take that in? It felt like someone had punched me in the chest and took my heart out. It had all made sense why they were all there and why it felt so morbid. Weeks, weeks, weeks. That could mean as little as a week to as long as 52 weeks. I'm angry and upset as I don't know what I have done to deserve this. I must have done something unforgivable and I would do anything to make it right. Time is precious and that's what gets me. Not knowing if things like birthdays are reachable. Since my last blog, I have managed to pick myself up, dust myself down and gain a little bit more of a perspective and clarity on things. I think I needed to have a complete meltdown to bring me out the other side. To be honest, it's good to have a good cry. But I don't want to relive that hospital room moment I explained in my last blog any time soon. So I am taking control. Using Twitter this week has made me want to use it to my advantage, to help spread the word about such a horrible disease. I've been in the situation where a doctor takes one look at you and says, you're only 31. I think it's a red herring. If it's anything else, I will eat my hat. And now look at the position I'm in. Doctors need to stop using statistics so much and realize cancer can happen to anyone at any age. This isn't a scaremonger anyone, but if you have any symptoms, go to your doctor, get them checked out. It may be nothing, but the earlier a potential problem is found, it can be treated. I keep thinking back to the hospital room moment I had a few weeks ago and question, did it really happen? It almost feels like a bad dream I had, which is probably a good thing. But then, on the other hand, am I in denial about it, even though I go over in my head that my cancer is terminal and inoperable? I don't know where I have found the strength to do everything I am doing right now. When I was younger, I wouldn't say boo to anyone. I even remember crying in primary school when I was moved to sit next to a boy. I would wear my heart on my sleeve, worry about everything and what people thought of me. I thought I would be handling this in such a different way. I have actually started to amaze myself. P.S. A little fact I worked out earlier. Did you know in the space of three and a half weeks, I had 14 litres of fluid drained from my tummy, which is seven two-litre bottles of Pepsi Max. How mad is that? On Valentine's Day, Katie posted a blog dedicated to her husband, Stuart. She wrote, I am a horrible cancer patient of a wife. In all the madness, I have not yet got you a Valentine's card. 
so I thought I'd take to my blog to write you a well-deserved public display of affection. I know how much you love PDAs. Stuart, in my head there doesn't seem to be any words good enough to describe exactly what you mean to me. Every day you inspire me. You motivate me to get out of bed every morning. The level of drive and determination you have astounds me. Your philosophy of taking each day as it comes is definitely the way forward. You do so much for me and have always been at my side through all the ups and downs, unfortunately mostly downs in our cancer journey. I bet when we got married and said our vows, you didn't think you'd have to follow through with the and sickness and health part. You are a great dad and an amazing husband. I love you to the moon and back. Always and forever, Katie. Throughout Katie's treatment, she seemed determined to continue to have fun and to try and live as normally as possible. We only decided to go to London after Stuart stemmed a question to me, what do you want to do for your birthday? So I said, go to London to sightsee and maybe see a show. The sat-nav in the car took us straight through the centre of London. We saw it in the dark. We went past Harrods, which was all lit up, the Ritz, Leicester Square and Piccadilly Circus. The kids were very excited by this time, but tired too after their long day. At the hotel, we got our PJs on and climbed into bed with drinks and Pringles and watched WWE on TV. The kids were soon fast asleep. On Sunday morning, it was the first time since we arrived in London that I had thought of having cancer. Sam and I were watching TV while getting dressed and the new Macmillan ad came on. The one with the people falling over and how many people get diagnosed each day. Sam was glued to it and after I asked him what it made him think of watching, he said, you with cancer in a grave. My heart jumped into my mouth. I tried to hold it together and gave him a huge hug. I had to go into the bathroom to tell Stuart, cry a little and compose myself. That was a hard thing to hear. When I came out, he was happily playing with his DS and Sophie. On Monday morning, Stuart called the chemo ward to ask them about me starting on my antibiotics and tell them about the cramps and sickness. I had an x-ray. Then on Wednesday, we were told the x-ray didn't show a lot, so I was booked for a CT scan. It was difficult having the scan done due to my tummy and sitting up straight made me sick. If I eat or drink, it just sits in my chest as there's no room in my tummy with all my organs pressing together. So I haven't really eaten since Saturday. That night I sat and watched Child of Our Time on BBC One. It follows 25 kids born in the millennium who have now reached their teens. This made me think of Sam and Sophie and it got me upset as I was trying to imagine them as teenagers and how much they will change into little adults. I can't imagine, due to this cancer journey, I will get to see it. And that's tough to get my head round. That brings us to yesterday, and what another bad news day it was. 
My bowel surgeon, oncologist and CNS nurse came in with the results of my CT scan. The tumours look more dense on my bowel and liver, hence why my tummy has gotten big again. It was one of those death sentence moments again. My head was spinning, asking the surgeon questions. To him, he has experience in these situations, but I see it as black and white. I asked him to operate, as at least doing something was better than doing nothing. His response was, it's too risky, and I would have a six-week recovery time before any chemo could be given. My response was, with tears flowing down my face, why can't you at least open me up and have a look? as not always do scan pictures show a great picture, and maybe my ovaries could be removed to give me more room in my tummy. I just keep thinking, I need more room to eat, because if I can't eat, then it's all downhill from there. I was screaming inside. He said, but I could open you up, and you could end up with an infection, and things could look worse than the scan show. Everything came across negative and not positive at all. I felt deflated and low and all the things that have kept me going over the last few weeks didn't seem to matter anymore. I just want them to do something as that's better than not doing anything at all. I watched Child of Our Time again last night and I wish I hadn't. One of the girls lost her mum when she was eight years old. Ironically enough, her surname was Scarborough. Again, I was in floods of tears. I felt it was a sign. Overnight, I was sick and had stomach cramps again. So back to the hospital it was. The bowel surgeon came to see me. And again, I had the conversation of operating. I just want him to do anything to make more room in my tummy. I'm struggling to eat. My head wants to eat loads, but as my tummy is full of tumour and this bloody cancer, there's nowhere for my stomach to stretch to. If treatment isn't shrinking it, and the surgeon won't operate as it's too risky, my tumour is only going to get bigger. I won't be able to eat, and that is my road to a slow death. I asked the surgeon just to remove my ovaries, give me a hysterectomy, take away some of my bowel, as I really don't need any of those. He said that even if he thought that it would be worth it by 1%, he would, but he doesn't think it would benefit me, as I probably wouldn't leave the hospital again. He also said that because of the cancer, they would all be stuck together and not easy to operate on. I'm trying to weigh it up. And part of me is even thinking that surely it's better to die fighting on an operating table rather than just waiting for the cancer to take hold even more than it already has. This is exactly where we are at now. No more options. I have lost a lot of weight. My legs are weak and I struggle to climb the stairs. I feel like a 70 year old. Cancer has taken everything away from me, and I hate it. I hate that it's making me bitter and emotional. I hate that it's given me no hope. I hate that it's made me weak and dependent on people. And most of all, 
I hate that it's going to take me away from my kids and family. A few weeks ago, after asking my oncologist to send my biopsy to Harley Street, she came to see me. I was having chemo at the time, and she said to me that I couldn't keep using up my energy running up and down the country looking for answers when I will be told the same thing. I was so upset and started crying and told her that I can't just do nothing and that every time I come into hospital for scan results, etc., I keep getting told negative information and that doesn't help me stay positive. I said, I am only 32 and have two kids and I need to do all possible for them. She thinks I should go home and enjoy the rest of my time with my family. But I don't want my kids to see me waste away. I also want them to know their mummy fought this to the end and didn't give up. I would still rather die on an operating table than die somewhere like a hospice. As I know at some point, I wouldn't want the kids to see me in any kind of fragile state. And not seeing them would be completely heartbreaking. I told her that I wanted my biopsy sent to Professor Stebbing at Harley Street, as at the time I hadn't heard back from any of the places that she referred me to, I had heard back from him directly. I am not in denial. I know I have stage four cancer and it's inoperable, but I need to have the hope that maybe there is something more. And if I don't at least try, what kind of impression does that send to my kids? This could potentially be my last blog, and if you keep on reading, you'll find out why. After our trip to Centre Parks, Stuart and I got our referral to the Christie in Manchester. The Christie specialises in bowel cancer. We drove the two hours or so to Manchester and arrived quite early for our appointment. The staff were so nice and explained a lot to us. They said that they couldn't offer me any trials, as the one they may have had closed the week before. I had had my bloods done whilst I was there, and the doctor went to get the results. When she came back, she mentioned my bilirubin level, which is part of my liver function, and causes you to become jaundiced if too high. She said that it was too high for being accepted on any trial. I asked what I could do to bring it down and she said steroids. But I am already on the highest dosage of daily steroids. So we knew straight away trials were out of the question as my liver is only going to get worse. She also said they wouldn't operate either and there was nothing they could do for me. I was numb and in tears. The doctor was clearly upset too and said that I had a rare cancer, but if she could do anything, they would, as she could see how determined I was to do something. We drove down the M6 trying to absorb the information we had just been given and drove mostly in silence. The next morning, I looked at my emails to be dealt another blow. 
Professor Stebbing had emailed me back to say that he couldn't do anything further for me either, and the treatment I am receiving is what he would do too. I had read the email just before Stuart took the kids to school, and I couldn't bring myself to tell him until he came back. The cancer has beaten me. Over that weekend, Katie and Stuart looked into alternative therapies, like vitamin C. But she blogged, Because I can hardly eat anything, that really isn't an option. I had also become very uncomfortable due to the fluid building up in my tummy and feeling like the grim reaper is sitting on my shoulder. On Sunday, after watching Jurassic Park with the kids, we decided it was time to tell them something. We've said all along we don't want to lie to them. We told them that mummy's medicine isn't working anymore and there isn't anything more the doctors can do for me. Sam looked at me and I asked him what that made him think. He said that you're going to die. I said yes. Stuart, Sam and I burst into tears. That was the hardest thing I have ever had to do. Sophie was bouncing round the room. I explained to Sam that Sophie doesn't understand as she's so young. He then explained to her saying, Mummy's cowpaw medicine isn't working. She came over and said she didn't want me to die. We had an oncologist appointment for Tuesday, yesterday, and we knew it wasn't going to be good news. She reiterated about the fact the cancer was stable on the peritoneal and ovaries, but had grown on the liver and bones. I asked to get my tummy drained as the fluid had built up and I was very uncomfortable, which she organised. The fluid build up is another sign the medicine isn't working. I asked how long it would take for my liver to give up, and she said a few weeks. My doctor said there wasn't anything more that they could do, and I knew that in my head, but it's hard to hear. Now it's all about symptom control. I'm not in a great way. My head is strong, but my body is giving up. My back is sore, my lower left-hand side where my liver is, and today my eyes have started to go yellow. I'm also very thin and can only eat small amounts of food. I think at this point, I'm in denial about what is going to happen. I really don't know how to die. Does anybody? Stuart and I are numb, devastated and trying to keep things normal for the kids. But this is very far from a normal situation. I had booked a birthday party for Sophie, but had to cancel it today. It's too late to think of a bucket list, but I want to go to the beach on the south coast and feel the wind on my face and watch the kids play on the sand. It's really difficult to explain how I feel. I'm angry, confused and teary. 
And I find myself staring into space all the time, not really thinking of anything. I'm more worried about Stuart, as he isn't one for sharing his feelings. But I know he's a great dad, and he has a wonderful family who will look out for him. You don't think when you have kids that you won't see it through and see them grow up into adults. And this is what's hard to take in more than anything. The fact is, I won't see what type of man Sam will grow into and what type of woman Sophie will grow up to be, what jobs they will have, who they will marry, get to know my grandkids, be there on their wedding days, and generally be their mum, as they so need a mum. And that's supposed to be my job. It makes me so angry. All I want to do is see my kids grow up and grow old with my husband. I want to say thank you to everyone who has read my blog, commented and donated money. You are all amazeballs. That was Katie's last post. Eight days later, on May the 2nd, 2013, she lost her battle with cancer. She was only 32. Shortly before Katie passed away, she recorded a goodbye message for each of her children. Something for Sam and Sophie to listen to as they got older. To remind them how much their mum loved them and how much she was going to miss them when she was gone. She also recorded a message for her husband, Stuart. A recording he's kindly allowed me to share with you now. Hi Stuart. For some reason this is harder than doing the kids one. Um, how did we get here? Last year has been so hectic. I'm so sorry for leaving you. I never wanted this. We never wanted this. You know what? We, we fought as hard as we could. For me to stay as long as we could, as long as I could. But I couldn't have stayed so strong and so positive without you, because you are my rock. We've got two beautiful kids. And it's those kids that have kept us fighting for so long and trying to fight this horrible disease. I want you to be happy. That's the main thing, and I know at the moment it probably won't seem like that, but I need to blow my nose now. <laughs> I know you look after the kids because you're such a great dad, and you'll have times to be sad as well. I just don't want them to forget me, and that's a worry that I have, especially with Sophie being so young. But I know that I'm sure you won't let that happen. And none of the family will either. The other thing, in time, when you get over this, how anybody can get over this, but you will want to find, or will try and find someone, well, another someone special. 
Which is fine with me, as long as it's not Pamela Anderson. And I know you like your blondes with the big boobs. But my only condition is they have they have to be the right person to be a stepmom to the kids. And I'm sure you understand that. But I know you've got great judgment and oh I put my complete faith in you that you'll find somebody who'll treat the kids right and treat you right because that's really important because as I said I, I want you to be happy as for now um, I'm going to miss you so much that's if you can actually miss somebody when you're dead I don't know how that works um, I love you so so much I don't know what else to say You've been listening to Regrets of the Dying. Every year in the UK, 41,000 people are diagnosed with bowel cancer, but it's treatable and curable if diagnosed early. If you want to check out the symptoms, go to bowelcanceruk.org.uk or Google bowel cancer in your country. And as much as I hate saying this, if you really feel there is something wrong, especially if you're younger or not eligible for any of the screening programmes, Please don't take no for an answer. Keep trying until someone listens. Next time. I'd made no attempt at all to help this guy. I had no thought to help this guy. Um, you know, I was just there as a photographer and it was my job, what I was doing. But it was the very first time in my life that I recognised You've got to regard the moment when really it's not enough just to go on taking photographs. This was a proper podcast with support from Acast. If you've liked this programme, then please subscribe and rate it on iTunes or the Acast app. The more positive reviews we get, the easier it will be for other people to find us. Goodbye and thanks for joining me. 